0: Welcome to Horn Up, I'm Animesh and I'm Peter and if you are clued into the punk, hardcore or metal scenes in Asia, well, unless you've been living under a rock, you've had to have heard of Unite Asia. Launched in March 2015, the platform has become one of the biggest voices for the Asian punk, hardcore and metal scenes and it's all thanks to a hardcore punk metalhead himself, the one and only Riz Farooqi. Hey
1: Riz, welcome to Horn Up, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for uh, interviewing me. This is such an honor to be on your podcast, guys.
0: It's an honor for us, too. I mean, as a musician, as someone who's part of a band, I can't tell the amount of happiness it gives me to be able to talk to somebody who's actually going out there and putting musicians and music and things that need to be heard out there into the world. So thank you for all your help on that front.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, thanks for mentioning that. I think that's an important part of what I do as well. That, And that's why I think a lot of bands do find it kind of a, a respectful kind of resource because they know that I come from playing in bands. Like, I'm not like this like guy who's sitting in an office and does stuff. Okay? Like, I'm actually out there making music every day.
2: Yeah, you know what's crazy is I just realized last night while I was prepping for this is that we've been in touch for, I don't know, three, four years now. And this is the first time we're actually speaking uh, in person, <laughs> like we have a, like, Facebook Messenger and all of that. But uh, yeah, it's crazy, right?
1: It is, man. I mean, the world that we live in right now, the fact that we can just meet each other online and actually become really close, have, you know, good friends and, you know, just keep in touch with each other. But you've never met that person. It's just the beauty of this whole underground punk rock, hardcore metal thing, you know, that's the beauty of all of this.
2: Yeah. But, you know, there's so much uh, to talk to you about. I mean, uh, Anamesh did like a short introduction, but you know what? We're going to straight uh, cut to the chase about your latest act, which is uh, Regret. So how did you get Igus, who was part of your previous band, uh, King Lee Chi, and also Kuro, who was part of uh, Oi Squad, Defiance Come and many more bands. How did you get them to be part of a band with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Thanks for doing your research, huh? (laughs) Um, The interesting thing is that last year, since about February of 2020, Hong Kong has basically shut down because of all the COVID crap, right? So our borders have been shut. So I am actually in a band called Dagger with a guy named Ivan, who was King Lai Chi's very last drummer. So after King Lai Chi broke up, we just kept, we kept in touch because we were just very close. And, but he lives in Macau, so because he's in Macau and our borders are closed, I haven't seen him physically since February of 2020. And so a, a big issue with Dagger was that we're one of those kind of bands that we can't do like email files and send projects back and forth and send a riff back. We're just not in that kind of band. We're very much like an emotional. So like we're kind of we have to be in a room together. We have to be feeding I- ideas off of each other. So. We tried to do the email back and forth thing and it just wasn't working. So we kind of had Dagger on hold until the borders open again so when Ivan could travel here. In the meantime, I am like, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm probably like borderline ADHD kind of guy. Like I get bored so easily if I'm not constantly doing stuff. So me and my old drummer, Agus, was kind of like Ivan, is also just a very good guy. We just, you know, have always stayed in touch even after he left the band. And he was just messaging me. He's just like, man, I'm so, I'm just dying to play like in a straight up, like hardcore punk band, just more like D beat or crust kind of sounding stuff, just raw. You know, you don't have to worry about like your equipment and whatever, like, cause dagger was kind of going into that direction where I was like, what kind of amp is it? Uh, What kind of pedals do you have? What does it sound like? You know, I was like completely forgot my whole hardcore punk roots with, with dagger. And so with, with uh, Agus, he was like, yeah, I just want to play in a plug in and play kind of band. I was like, me too. I was like, dude, I've got some ideas. He's like, I got some ideas, and we started doing like the email back and forth thing. And like within like a, probably a month or so, we had seven songs. And that's what regret is. Regret is a uh, uh, the debut EP will be coming out at the end of the, at the end of this month, and it's just seven songs and stuff that we had written. But what I'd learned with doing Unite Asia and learn with hardcore and punk and just the insane amount of hardcore bands that exist. Uh, you know, Animesh could probably talk about it as well. Like how many punks and hardcore bands and how many bands release music every day. It's, it's hard to break through. So I was just like, well, if I'm going to start a new band, there's got to be something that's a little bit different, a little bit more exciting about it. And I haven't been in a band with a female in a, in a very long time. Actually, King Light, she had a female singer for about a year. Uh, when that was the year that we toured with No Effects all over Asia, um, uh, she was singing in the band. And so when I started this band, I was like, man, I need to get like, I want a, like a different voice, a different feeling to it. And so my friend Kuro, uh, she plays bass, like you were saying, in a lot of punk rock bands in Hong Kong. And she kills it on bass, dude. She's so good. So I got her to play bass. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm down to try this out. And so when I was recording vocals and stuff, I was like, Kuro, come to this, come to the studio. She's like, she's like all right, whatever. So she came to the studio. I was like, Kuro, you're going to sing on this. She's like, what? I don't know how to sing. I'm like, doesn't matter. Just, I gave her a mic and she was like, uh, and like the mic was in her face and she had to sing these words. And then when she stopped singing, she was like, is that all right? And like, when I heard it back, I was like, this I was like, yes, it is great. It's kind of like, well, her voice has got kind of like, like this, almost like a riot girl, like a bikini mm-hmm. kind of style of vocal on it on something that's a little more hardcore punk sounding. And I was like, dude, me and Agus right away were like, oh my God, you got to sing on every song. So I had to like rewrite the lyrics to like every single song so that she was on there somewhere. So yeah, that's basically in a nutshell, that's what the band has been about.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so tell me something, Rez. Why did Regret need to exist? Why was it born? What purpose does it serve? Is it just a project born out of getting something to
1: do? Or is there something more to it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, I, I would say it did come out of almost a necessity. Uh, so let me just explain a little bit, like a little bit of a background of Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong doesn't really have a hardcore scene. It doesn't really have a punk rock scene. I mean, there are like a literally a handful of bands. Um, I would say maybe 10 to 15 bands in all of Hong Kong. Really? Hong now. a big city, man. It's a big, it's a city of about 8 million people. It's got history it's like in heavy music. It's got history <laughs> in punk rock. I mean, it's just the fact that there aren't that many hardcore and punk rock bands is always, it's always kind of like it's just sad. To me, it's just a very tragic kind of thing, especially with all the all the stuff that's going on in Hong Kong for the past couple of years. Like um, there's been a lot of political turmoil, a lot of social turmoil, all stuff that should just like give birth to like a a legion of like punk rock and hardcore bands, but it hasn't done that. So with um, regret, it was just like this necessity of having um, a hardcore punk voice in the city, something that was just a little bit more like straight to the point, you know, like Dagger is more of like a metallic hardcore kind of band. So like the music was a big element to it, like, you know, like the, the, the technicality and the riffs, the sound, that was a really big part of Dagger and I love that. But with, with Regret, it was less of like, oh, how good can the band sound? How technical can the riffs be? How clear are the drums? It's more like, no, man, we've got a bunch of songs. Just record it and get it out. You know, like that whole like sense of urgency that was the whole point of punk rock and hardcore was basically like the the, the catalyst to do Regret.
0: So is Regret is clearly straight out, raw, old school hardcore punk. In your own words, it's music that needs to exist because it sends a message out uh, rather than being the technical aspect of it or the wizardry aspect of it or something of that sort which means I'm assuming that regret is also political it's satirical and it's got a lot of uh, commentary is there a lot of irreverence as well what are the kind of topics that you guys are talking about
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie to everybody here that's listening. I'm definitely educated on uh, the ethos of of hardcore punk rock. That when I first started hearing about it when I was 17, it completely turned my life around. Because when I grew up, much like most people around the world, I grew up actually on metal. You know what I mean? Like that was the kind of music that really... Got to first in Hong Kong. That's because we not we didn't have a punk rock hardcore scene back then. It was I'm talking about late '80s, early '90s. We didn't have that stuff. So the music that was accessible to us here was, of course, metal, because metal by then was on like major labels and stuff like that. So I grew up on like Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Anthrax, you know, Slayer. And I've like, been playing guitar since I was nine. So lyrics uh, never mattered to me. I never cared. Amen, about
0: brother. I, Amen. Right? I mean, I had no
1: <laughs> idea. like Slayer singing about Angel of Death and South of Heaven, you know, like all the satanic stuff. And I'm Muslim. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. I don't give a shit about what they're singing about. All I cared about was like the riffs and like the beat. All I wanted was like when I put my music on my headphone, my gigantic headphones on my Walkman, like I just wanted something blaring in my ear so I could forget about being a Pakistani growing up in Hong Kong, going to an international school with white people, and how I didn't fit in in any of those. And I just wanted something that could just be like soothing, like mentally soothing. That's all I cared about. So all the way up to like maybe seventeen, when I finally went to the States uh, to go to college uh, in Massachusetts. I went to go see, um, even then actually, the first band actually I went to go see was Bad Religion, which is like, you know, hopefully people know like legendary punk rock band. But by then, Bad Religion was enormous, dude. So they played in a place that I swear there must've been like 1,500 people. So there was this kind of like untouchableness about Bad Religion. So I didn't really think much of it. Actually, let me go back a little bit. Uh, the first show I actually saw, and I'm not joking, like I told you, like I grew up on metal. The first show I saw in the States was uh, Napalm Death and Obituary together at a show. Awesome. Um, and right wow. now, prior to that show, uh, and this was 94, I'm talking about. So prior to that show, I had never seen an international band before because no one came through Hong Kong. Nobody. I had never seen a show before. I'd played at shows. I've seen like local bands play, but I'd never seen that before. So I didn't even know the idea of flyer and looking for flyers and looking for shows and like newspaper listings. I had no idea about any of that, no sense. So I remember sitting in a dorm in Massachusetts and I just moved there. So I didn't know people. And like one of my, like someone that I'd met was this the hippie guy, straight up hippie, like complete hippie, like Birkenstocks, Grateful Dead t-shirt, like smell like weed, had the long hair. Um, And he was sitting in my dorm room. And he was looking at one of those free newspapers that had listings in it. And he was like, Oh, he was like, Oh, look at all these bands playing. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, Oh yeah, I know these listings in the back tell you what bands are playing nearby. I was like, Oh, okay. I had no idea what he was going to say. And then he's like, Oh wow. what? This is weird. There's a band called, napalm death and obituary playing and i'm like what he's like oh no do you know them i'm like yeah i I do what are you talking about he's like oh you know there's a there's a town 20 minutes over and they're playing there tonight i'm like napalm death and obituary are playing 20 minutes." i'm like what do you mean he's like oh no there's a venue called pearl street and they're playing there i'm like let's go i'm like how do we get there like i was like i would (laughs) I, would, I was going to be re- ready to run, get on my skateboard. I was like, let's go. And that was my first show. And I remember getting to the show. Obituary was on stage. And John Tardy, you remember, like, he, with his big, gigantic hair. Yeah. He was doing, like, the whole freaking windmill, windmill thing. Windmill, yeah. like, you could just hear his voice. And I was like, holy shit. And then um, after they played, Napalm Death was on stage. And I remember sitting right underneath a guitar player. Peter, do you remember the guitar player? His name was, like, Jesse, I think, or
2: yeah, Jesse from, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, he's the guy one the died, I believe, right?
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, he's the one, yeah, yeah. So he's, I sat right underneath him when they played, and so I mean, like, long story short, like, so I was already kind of getting into the swing of like metal and being able to see these, but even then, when I watched Napalm Death and Obituary and I saw Bad Religion, even though these are like, huge bands. I didn't, it wasn't like, I was like, oh, I got to find out more about this. I had already known about it. Like I was already a metalhead. I was excited. I was like, couldn't wait to watch my next metal show. But it was when I saw Sick of It All. That's when my life was like, what is this? Because uh, metal and punk rock, you know, hopefully people listening know that there is this untouchable kind of feeling to it. There's a a barrier, literally physically a barrier between the audience and the band, you know, on stage. And so like, you're still, you're like, you're like kind of like almost... I hate to say this, but it's kind of like a like a BTS kind of feeling. You know what I mean? You're you're sitting there <laughs> and these guys are on stage performing I can't and all that stuff. That. I, I probably oh should God, be sorry. comparing it to BTS. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's
0: all good. Maybe but, we'll actually be able with, to write that wave S- and get more heard.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but with Sick of It All, it was something unbelievable because I went And when Sick of It All played, the entire, I'm not even making this up. And again, I'm telling you, I was 17 at the time, never been to a punk show, never seen a hardcore show. When I went to see Sick of It All, first of all, the stage was a foot high. So it was like that high. And they were on stage. I'm like, that's interesting. I'm like, there's no barrier and no managers. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then when they played, watching 400 people all get on stage and like i'm like yo guys what are you doing calm down <laughs> i'm like wait 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 that's the band. relax you know but that's what they want it's sick when i was like come on here get on stage take my mic and so i literally i was just so caught up in just like the explosion of passion and emotion and everyone jumping on stage i remember um like lou the singer his head was right here the microphone was right there and my face was right next to him and i'm like what the fuck? <laughs> it was, uh, and, you know, that night was like, what a change. And I got off stage. I'm like, I need to know more about this. What is this punk rock thing? What is this hardcore thing? That's from 17 onwards to now as a 44-year-old. The DIY ethos, the punk rock ethos, the hardcore ethos is embedded in everything I do. So long answer, sorry, <laughs> I imagine is that regardless of what kind of music I play or what activity I'm involved in, it has to have a social consciousness, it has to have a political consciousness because of that learning. I've read and devoured every zine that was released at the time, every band. And even to this day, any band that speaks to me the most are, that hits me at that level are bands that are taking, you know they're using their platform to talk about social issues or political issues, talking about LGBTQ rights, Um, You know, racism, women's power, feminism, like that type of stuff is so important to me that if I'm going to be playing in a band, I I will continue to be talking about that type of message.
0: Hmm, That's interesting, which means uh, that you're from an ideology that essentially music needs to be used as a form of spreading a message. Is that what all art should do? Is that the purpose of art?
1: Yeah, great question. I think it depends on the type of art the type of music, the type of dance, whatever the type of art is, I don't think art art can be defined, right? I mean, it should be free. It should be for whatever purpose it is, um, and, and art should just be like, well, I'm gonna put it out there. Um, it was a self-expression, right? It was a it was a, a moment for me to use the music or use my words or whatever it is to express myself, and then how you consume it is up to you. So no, I don't. I I think it's it can't be defined. I just think for in terms of punk rock and hardcore, though. That's different. I feel like if you're a, if you're a so-called hardcore band or a punk rock band, I do feel like your, your music has to be about something like your lyrics have to be about something or what, what sets you apart from everything else. You know what I mean? Like, I think that is the only way the closest I could get to putting some sort of parameters around art is that if you claim to be punk rock and hardcore, like you've, your lyrics have to be about something, even if it's something personal. Like you're addressing it, something that you've experienced, a life experience that you've had, or some sort of self-identity crisis that you've had. Actually, that is something, you know, that is a content that if somebody else listens to it, they feel some sort of like connection to you. You know what I mean? That's, so yeah, I mean, that's the only way I, could, I think I could answer that question.
2: I want to ask you about the track, We Exist. I mean, clearly it highlights, you know, the ethnic minorities around the world. So since you talked about, you know, Hong Kong and growing up there, What was it like growing up uh, as a Pakistani immigrant?
1: Yeah I mean Hong Kong is a very interesting city with like uh, you know it's almost got 200 years of history you know nothing compared to India of course right but uh, (laughs) in Hong Kong we it's it's very much a Chinese city even uh, but prior to the handover to China it was already going more in this direction so like you know if we're talking about like percentage um, I think the most recent consensus was like uh, 96% of Hong Kong is Chinese, 4% is everybody else, you know, literally everybody else, even though wow. Hong Kong has this, you know, a portrayal of being a very international city, which it is, you know, it's a very international city. But I mean, that's the, the reality of life here. So for a lot of us, like ethnic minorities, and like our ethnic minority groups are mainly like Pakistani, Indian, Filipino, and Nepali. These are like the biggest groups indonesian most recently as well are the biggest like ethnic minorities and to me what i mean by ethnic minority i don't mean people who've recently come here and started living here i mean people who are born and raised in hong kong you know they've lived here their entire lives for generations too like my dad was first generation and then i was second generation so home is hong kong you know but growing up here like to a lot of local chinese they don't think it is you know so they'll come to me and be like hey so man so uh, you know, when do you go home? I'm like, what What do you mean by home? They're like, you know, wherever you're from. I'm like, and I'll, I'll name the place that I grew up in, in Hong Kong called <laughs> I'm like, that is home to me. They're like, no, no, no. When you're, you're home. Like, I'm like, I, I'm like, do you mean like where my family is from? They're like, yeah, where your family's from? I'm like, Karachi. They're like, yeah, Karachi. So how often do you go? I'm like, never. I don't live there. I live here you know what I me. Mean? Like, it's just that kind yeah. of uh, attitude, which is okay. I mean, that doesn't, Equate to racism at all, but my upbringing was uh, surrounded by a lot of racist kind of like stereotypes, you know. um And you know, I didn't really speak Cantonese growing up too, so people would just be frustrated with that. I didn't start speaking Cantonese until I was twenty-one. But I mean, I understood it at all because I've lived here my whole life. But it's just just idiotic stereotypes, like you know, people wouldn't sit next to me on the train in Hong Kong or think like Indians and Pakistanis have like a certain smell or whatever it was, you know what I mean? That kind of just idiotic mentality. Like when my parents and I would go into like a Chinese restaurant in Hong Kong, then, you know, like I just had this, I remember like people stopped eating and we'd walk in and they'd be like, oh, why are they here? Like that kind of attitude. And then later once I started speaking Cantonese, I, a lot, it, the idiocy really came out. Like I do, I honestly, I'm not even making this up. I remember one time when this guy finally learned I could speak Cantonese, he actually came up to me. He's just like, hey man, now that you can speak Chinese, I have, I have so many questions. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, great, dude. That's that's what this is all about, man. Like, let's talk. Let's let's get you know some conversation and like clear some misunderstandings. He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I've always wanted to know why do you guys always smell like curry? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you guys always smell like curry. And I'm I, I literally started laughing. I was like, ah, you're such a funny guy. And his face was serious. I was like, uh, I don't. I don't know how to answer that question. I was like, maybe we cook with. I, I, don't, I honestly, I don't know how to answer that. I didn't. I still, to this day, this was like 20 years ago. I didn't know how to answer that question, but I know that he didn't mean it in a racist manner, right? He yep, wasn't being yep. discriminatory. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't be good friends with me if if that was the case. He was literally coming from a place of extreme ignorance, because, like I said, 96 percent of Hong Kong is Chinese. So people are always surrounded by like-minded people. They look the same, they eat the same food. So they don't have that uh, a situation where a bridge can be made between different cultures. So he was just taking an opportunity. He was like, tell me man, curry, why do you smell like curry? I'm like, I don't smell like curry, you asshole. Like I'm like, my family doesn't smell like curry but he was just laughing about it. You know. I mean? So that's just kind of like the, the mentality here. But then in terms uh-huh. of like, you know, singing about it and, and talking about it, you know, even with my old banking King Lai Chi, like it was always like brought up in our lyrical content, but definitely in interviews. Like I made sure I brought it up and stuff like, you know, like we do as brown skinned China- Asian people, not like the lighter skin, but as brown skinned Asian people, we are at the very bottom of the ladder, no matter where you are on this planet. You know what I mean? So for, as a Pakistani, like I is immediately when I saw a Filipino or a Nepali, I was like, hey, brother, what's going on? Come on over here. You know, it's like kind of how you know what I mean? Like It's just like <laughs> because because us brown people were always like kind of like not I would say targeted, but like crap happens to us. Like brown people don't get, um, you know, if we're like looking for a home to live in uh, the local property agents or we're the last people that they will allow to rent out property to you know like on the phone like i got to make up a name I'm like hey my name is john you know what i mean and they're like oh hey john what's up come on over and once they see me they're like oh uh, uh no sorry that property that was that was gone man they rented it out a couple of days shit. I'm like, what okay are you talking about, man? You know, I was like, I was like, I I come, I'm like, I'm a teacher. Like, you don't have to be scared. I'm like, I will pay my rent or whatever it is. He's like, hey, it's not me, it's just a landlord. And then like the, the neighbors might the have neighbors. To yeah. Just I mean that kind of idiocy, you know what I mean? So like that's why that song We Exist kind of came came across with that idea where that, you know, regardless of what you think or where you think we're from we're from here you know what i mean like we're from here hong kong is home to us we speak cantonese we grow up here we pay our taxes our kids go here i got married here and you know this is home and we exist regardless of whether or not you think we exist we exist here
0: fantastic so after we've heard so much about that song let's just play we exist so that our listeners can actually get an idea of
1: what the song is and what the song is about is that all right you want to introduce it Sure, uh, yeah, so this is the first taste of my brand new band called Regret from Hong Kong, and uh, the song's called We Exist, and in the song I actually got a bunch of ethnic minorities from Hong Kong to sing on. I mean, I sing the Urdu line, the first one, then I've got a friend who sings the Tagalog, the Filipino line, the second one, and then we got a Nepali guy, and the Nepali guy's the most interesting one because he's not a singer, he just grabbed the mic and just let loose so you can hear like it's all out of time like he doesn't come in on the first beat <laughs> but we kept it because it was just so like legit and authentic so i yeah. hope uh, everyone enjoys the song sit there because this song is <laughs> for us we don't need you because we
2: So let's come back to regret. I mean, was this your first time writing and recording music remotely and how hard did you find it to adjust to this new process?
1: Yeah, let me think. I mean, I don't know if this was the first, yeah, it must've been, this must've been the first time that we've done it remotely because uh, the drummer lives in Macau. So just like the drummer of dagger also lives in Macau. So we did do a lot of like file sharing and, um, but I do remember like when we were ready to record the EP and my drummer was like, Hey, so I'll just program the drums. I was like, no, you won't. <laughs> like, no, you won't. You're going to get into a studio and you're going to record. Your drums oh my loud. God. So any of this programming drum stuff. And I mean, of course, he was like, he was just joking around. He knew my answer. I mean, he's known me for like 10 yeah. plus, of course, of course, I'll get in the studio, we'll record it, we'll bounce the tracks back and forth. So yeah, I mean, like, the, it is uh, an exciting part of the world we live in that you can still create art, you know, in, regardless of what, whatever situation you're in. So it worked. I mean, luckily we just all get along. So it worked.
0: What really at the moment do you think is the long-term plan as such for Rebred? Have you guys talked about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, for sure is to start playing shows. Right. I mean like that, of course, for hardcore <laughs> punk rock is that's the beauty of it. I mean, like I said yeah. earlier, like had I um, had I not seen sick of it all with my own eyes, I probably I'm not even going to lie to you as a metalhead. Like is that um, had I not seen sick of it all live, I probably would never have gotten them like understood the, their the power in their music. Honestly, I mean, I heard sick of it all prior to that when I was in Hong Kong. Uh, the first record was Blood, Sweat, No Tears, is what I heard, but like I, it didn't click. It didn't connect with yeah, the Yeah, it doesn't click. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, why does it sound so bad? You know, like why? It sounds like a bunch of power chords. You know what I mean? Like the typical <laughs> response of a metalhead was my response was, and when I saw it live, that was like, oh, I get it now. It's Ooh. it's it's power chords because they're not wasting time, you know, they're not sitting there in the studio and be like, oh, let's change the note. If we change that third note to a B flat, wouldn't it like none of that shit? It was just more like na 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 all right good next song, you know what I mean? And, I, and no it was one's... a it was a power of seeing it live. Yeah, I that no,
2: and I said, no one's fighting over like, hey, I didn't get my solo time and all of that. <laughs> I need to show yeah, up.
1: And, right, right. I mean, yeah, it's not, not a wang over- fest. Yeah, yeah. And you're not overthinking it, which is it's got its pros and cons. You know what I mean? Like I think metal bands when they do overthink stuff, it's fine. It's that type of music where they're like they're putting something a little bit more technical out there. So they are gonna finesse little things. They're gonna go into the studios, do a lot of punching in, punching out. And with regret, it was like very much like my uh, the guy that helped record me, he's the vocalist of of Dagger. And um, you know, there's there might be a couple parts I'm punching in and punching out just because like I totally played the wrong notes or whatever it is. But him and I were both just like, wait, did you play the wrong note? I'm like, Yeah, he's like, he's like, it actually sounds kind of cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. It's a punk band, let's go. You know what I mean? And so uh the the big picture for now is definitely like finally being able to play it live and bring it to bring it to life, but same, same, same situation. He lives in Macau. So we got to wait for like you know, the, the ferries to open back up so he can come back here. So, I mean, the, currently, it's, as soon as we get to go ahead, we'll play shows and then definitely by the end of the year, have a full, full length out, I think. I yeah, was awesome. hoping that can happen, man.
2: Yeah, man. Lots to look forward to. Mm, excellent.
0: Talking about the whole shit show of the entire last year, right? How has the last year helped you? And it can be in any manner, right? Be it learning new skills, recording on your own, uh, be it learning how to do podcasts, be it figuring out Zoom like the rest of the world, be it with all the political things that are happening in Hong Kong in terms of learning more about topics and inspiration for songs. I know it's an extremely, extremely broad question, but uh, try and just talk us through it. How has the last year helped you in? doing what you do as such, especially uh, when it comes to uh, United Asia as well as hardcore punk.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you nailed it. I think the the biggest learning curve was all the new technical stuff that we all had to learn, like what we're doing right now. I mean, I think learning Zoom was was the hardest part because I'm a teacher. So like my kids, I teach uh, six year olds, I'm a first grade teacher. So teaching my kids via Zoom and learning how to be engaging uh, through this format was so hard to do as a teacher because like literally I had to be an entertainer, right? Just because they're, you know, they could all just check out. Like a lot of the kids are so tech savvy, even at six years old. So I, they're looking at me and then suddenly their eye goes to the corner and you're like, what are you playing right now? And they're like, "Uh, nothing. I'm like, I know you've got some sort of video game open in the corner here. You're not even paying attention. You know, I mean, like that type of fun stuff. But it was because of Zoom and like this new world that we were adapting to that I was able to do all that podcast stuff that I tried to do um, um, from, I think it was August of last year. And then um, it was great. It was a a really cool uh, way of looking at at how we could continue to engage with the world. Um, And actually through COVID, it brought us all closer together because everyone started to Zoom. You know what I mean? It's like, even when you watch all these like American talk shows or UK-based talk shows, they're continuing to do their talk show stuff because they continue to Zoom with people from all over the world. So that was uh, uh, one of the highlights, I think. I mean, I don't think there's many highlights I can say because Hong Kong has been in, in hell for the past two years and it's only gotten worse. So I don't know if I, I can say if there's other highlights, but I think that was one of the things that did, um, that we did get out of this whole COVID crisis was uh, the idea that we could continue to keep the world moving forward, regardless of music, art, whatever it is, because of all the technical know-how that we all have.
2: You know, you talked a bit about Dagger and you said that you guys were trying uh, to record, uh, I mean, at least pass on riffs. What's the status though? I mean, are you guys, uh, like you mentioned, going to be on hold until then uh, there?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, we will be on hold. I mean, we tried because three of the guys live here. So myself, the singer and the the bass player, we all live here. So we were trying to meet up often and, and just like, it's hard when you're playing that kind of music. Uh, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, like metallic hardcore, but like not like not like stereotypical. Like we actually have the four of us have to be in the room together to write music together because we do feed off of each other's identity. So all little parts of my bass will be in there, the drummer's little parts will be in there. Like so it's it's hard to do this back and forth stuff. And we try to do that, but it just seems so dry. You know what I mean? Like there's no real heart or emotion or like authenticity. When we wrote like that, it just it just seemed like it felt more like, well, whoever wrote that song, it sounds like that person. You know what I mean? So like I do a lot of writing, so it's just sounded like me. Yeah. The bass player didn't feel like he had a little say in it or anything. So like we we're just waiting for our drummer to come be back and so that we could just get back in the studio and just be like and start writing stuff. So yeah, unfortunately, until borders open up, we're it's just gonna be on hold. So it's just kinda like, you know, the focus has kind of like been more on regret for now.
2: All right. So I'm um- Throwing this in only because, you know, you keep posting a lot on social media about your daughter and her taste in music and, you know, the kind of impact that you're having on her, right? And even though she listens to stuff like Taylor Swift and all buying the vinyl for her, so I find that really cool. Uh, But I must ask you then, what does she think of Regret? Have you played any of the songs for her?
1: yeah you know it's really funny she um because uh, she's nine now and uh, you know ever since she was born like I always had like records out vinyl music whatever it is that she listens to, but I've never like pushed heavy music on her man like my going uh, my running joke with people is like is that the reason why she doesn't connect with heavy music is because she's happy you know I was like <laughs> I always say like, like, the moment she does like heavy music or connects I'm gonna have to be like what happened what happened what's going on in your life tell me <laughs> yeah. what happened in your life You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so, a great so filter
1: right it is it's just the way it is it's like well I'm, of course you don't connect with heavy music you're such a happy kid and life is going well yeah. for you but um you know with her she yeah she listens to you know like a lot of like more poppy kind of stuff like she loves Dua Lipa right now but she, it's cool that she at least is is really interested in lyrics like she's really interested in like what the songs are about. So you know, she and I, as a nine-year-old, and I'm 44. Like she, as a nine-year-old, she she and I can be like, "Too bad Dua Lipa doesn't sing about anything." <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's just like, like it's such a great voice, such great music, but every song is about a relationship, about a boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever." Except for this one song, and then I did sit there and explain it to her. It's, you know, I don't know if you guys know Dua Lipa at all, but there's this one song. Uh, I think it's called Boys Will Be Boys or whatever it is. And it talks about like sexual harassment and stuff. And I'm like, now look, we can talk about this. You know, so I printed the lyrics out for her and we talked about the lyrics and what the background of the song is. So it's cool that she is very open-minded to music and she does at the, at the, at the heart of it still also cares about similar things that I care about that, you know, like music can be pop. It can be whatever it is, hip hop, any type of music it is, as long as it's about something.
2: All right. But what did, have you, has she heard uh, Regret as yet?
1: All oh, right, right. That was a question. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I think she's heard Regret and Dagger and King Leggy and it's not her thing. But she does she love me a lot. So she's always like, oh, so oh. are we going to listen to Regret again? I'm like, just one song. <laughs> one song. And then we'll, we'll pass it back to Dua Lipa. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
2: So another cool thing about you is, like you mentioned, you're a school teacher. And uh, I didn't know that you teach first graders, but what do they think of, uh, like, do they first of all know that you're in a band? Uh, I mean, the tattoos kind of give it away slightly, but what do they think of it? And I mean, they're too young, but do they even know about like, you know, metal or hardcore at all? I mean, Kids have the internet today, right? What are you really teaching them in class? (laughs) Hey kids, today I'm going to talk to you about the history of this one band called Sick of It All. I don't know why, like just right now, while you were saying, what are you really teaching them? I thought of School of Rock and I thought of Riz coming in as Jack Black.
1: (laughs) That often happens. Um, All right. So you guys are piling on the great questions here. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the easy one is, is whether or not the kids know my band. So here, uh, here is a little bit of a story from, I think it was when I was teaching second grade a few years ago and why I don't tell them I play in a band. <laughs> so it's there, I was teaching second grade maybe like, I think it was maybe 12 years ago, something like that. And um, I, mis- by mistake, had mentioned like um, my band King Light G to one of the kids. And, you know, like, because I played in a hardcore band or punk band, like I swear a lot, uh, you know, in the, in the music. But definitely on stage, right? I'm swearing a lot, right? So like, I wasn't thinking about it at all. And, and this kid went home, uh, looked up King Lai Chi on YouTube. And the next day he came and his face was like white. He's he like, I heard your band. I was like, what? What do you mean? He's like, I went to YouTube. I was like,
2: oh, no. Oh, my God.
1: Uh, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, you said a bad word on stage. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah so since then i never tell the band name like even parents will ask me like hey so you know you know we'd like to come watch your band i'm like well i'll, I'll let you know, I'll, you know. <laughs> i never i never never mention the band name but i'll say what kind of music it is i'll say it's heavy music or whatever but i don't have i don't need any reason for them to then go find out that I play in like this kind of band, I sing these kind of lyrics and then get me in trouble so I lose my job. Actually, and in, in the, the crazy part is because of all the political turmoil in Hong Kong, we have to be even more careful now. We have to be even more careful because people are snitching on teachers right now. So it's even more important that I, uh, cause Dagger is very political, you know, uh, uh, King Lechi was at the end of, the, of its time too. But you know, even regret is very, very political as well. So I have to be very careful Right now, because of the current cultural revolution style of, of period, this phase that we're going through in Hong Kong, which is really troubling, I have to be very careful. So I don't tell any of my my kids uh, that want uh, to play in a band or whatever anything like that.
0: Have any of them like down the years come back and said, "Hey, you used to be my
2: teacher." Oh yeah, that would be nuts. Like imagine seeing them in the audience. <laughs> That's be- Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah,
1: that happened. It happened. Um, a few years back there's a there's a music festival in hong kong hong kong called uh, clock and flap and yeah. they don't uh, they're not you know like heavy music we don't have enough people here for it to be like a, it's like a anything type of music
2: true yeah. and so
1: they invited king like Chi out so like i <laughs> get on stage i don't i i mean i don't i don't tend to wear shirts with fuck around it i just think that's the corniest shit ever but i did have like something about like straight edge to death or like you know i don't know what it was something like that but i'm like i'm on stage i'm like Bleh! And I look out and there's a kid sitting on someone's shoulders. I'm like, Bleh! Harry, what's up, Harry? <laughs> it was my one of my seven year olds was on his mom's shoulder because they were at the festival. And they're like, what? That's Mr. Faruqi. It was it was really funny. It was <laughs> super funny. Yeah, it was really funny. I, you know, I, I haven't really had older kids come back and tell me whether or not they've heard of it. But I would love to hear. I would love to know. As, as they grow up, um, you know, if anything that I talked about in the classroom, like if that resonated with them many yeah. years down the road, that would be cool, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. All right. So I know we are a month late, but uh, happy sixth birthday to Unite Asia.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So l- let me take you back to the very start.
1: Why did you decide to Unite Asia? Um. It was mainly because I am just a a lover of music. I love music, just heavy music. I love it. I know a lot of people like connect me more with hardcore and punk rock, but I just, I love everything. So my personality is very much like I devour it, you know, so I just devour information. So like back in the day when we used to get magazines, like, you know, Metal Maniacs and Kerrang or whatever it was, like, I would just, you know, read cover to cover every column. I just like love listening and reading and learning about that type of stuff. So then once the internet exploded, it was even more, right? It was just more stuff at your fingertips. So I just, at, at some point I just became with my daily routine was, Get up in the morning, make myself a cup of tea, sit down on my computer and start going through all the websites. Like literally is what I used to do all the time. And I, I guess I still kind of do. So it was always like, you know, like metal socks, metal injection, uh, blabbermouth, punk news, like all the bigger websites. I would go through all of it. And at some point I was just like, man, I'm really tired of just reading about UK bands. European bands, American bands. That's all it was. It was American, American, American. And not only that, it was always like white, 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the bands are just like white people, white people, white people. And so by the time like Unite Asia, like at 2015, by that time, I'd already been touring all over Asia for about 15 or 16 years so I knew like the quality of the bands that were coming from here. Like we tour, like, I've toured through China several times, um, Taiwan, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, Ta- like all these places. And, and the quality of those bands were above and beyond um, what other bands are doing from like, you know, typical American scenes or the UK scene. Like, I'm not even joking. Like the very first time I- was the very first time I'd gone to Southeast Asia to watch a band and my band was touring. And and uh, we got to the venue, and there's, the amps are like typical, like combo amps, you know, like the little tiny ones, like this. And like not to be like rock stars or anything like that, but like I was like, you know, we walked in and we're like, "What is this crap, man? We're from Hong Kong. Why are we gonna play out of? You know what I mean? Like just typical dumb shit." Um, but the opening bands plugged into that same stuff, and like because of that touch, whatever touch that the South Asians have and Filipino people have. Dude, they sounded immense, huge. And I'm like, I grew up like, you know, going to shows in the States with at 17 onwards, watching great bands, Snapcase, Strife, Helmet, like all the big bands, you know, I saw them all. And like, here was this band in Malaysia going out a little combo amp and, and ripping it up, dude. They were so good. It was this band called Cassandra and this band called Second Combat. And like, from then on, like my head just flipped. I was like, and I'd already been in touch with bands from all over the region, but this is seeing it again with my own eyes and that explosion. And so by the time United Asia came around, I was like, dude, I know all these bands. I'm so sick and tired of like having to like WhatsApp the vocalist of a band in Jakarta and be like, hey dude, what's going on with your band? And then they'd WhatsApp me back. And I was like, so that was like the main catalyst. I was like, oh wait, I know this guy. I know that guy, I know that guy. I know all these people. Like what if they just all sent it all to me? And then I just, threw it up on, on a website, uh, kind of like we'd be like the Asian version of metal sucks or metal injection or whatever it was. We'd be like the Asian version of it. And so that was a main catalyst. And I really didn't know whether it's going to take off or, anything or like that. I had no, I really, honestly, I had no idea. I'd be like, man, I don't know, maybe three people on this planet would be interested. You know what I mean? So I put it all together. I, I clicked and made a submission page because I didn't want to be like inundated on my WhatsApp or my email or whatever. So I just made like this, this submission page where everyone just sent their information there. And like, honestly, I'm not kidding. Like, dude, the day that it went up, like that night I had like 40 submissions. So I was like, Oh crap. And I had no idea that like, this, this was something, <laughs> this was something that people, I guess, felt like they also wanted or that they also needed, you know? And so six years down the road um, it's, it's been like, I honestly, I'm not joking. It was like, one of the most successful things I've done is this website
2: and also start the whole which i'm guessing will be a meme soon which is how to submit news (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh on a serious note though i mean and this is our final question and us trying to wrap up this conversation because it's been great so far and probably our toughest one for you so what does hardcore mean to you
1: yeah i mean that is a hard question because i mean people tend to like jump to the music, right? Like it's it's a certain style of music and you know, it's got to have a certain riff in it. And then of course, there's like hardcore elitists who will be like, well, if it doesn't sound like punk rock, it's not hardcore. Or then if you have the opposite, you're like, well, if you're not progressing or you're not evolving the sound, it's not hardcore. And you're like, oh my God, those conversations are so annoying. Um, they're annoying. They're just stupid. They're just like, uh, it, it just takes the heart and soul out of it. So for me, I think hardcore and punk rock is all is all about the attitude, right? It's, it, to me, it's an it's an ideology. It's the way you live your life. Um, I don't think hardcore punk rock is for everyone. I really don't. I mean, is even though bands like Sick of It All and Madball are, I, I would never call it mainstream at all. But I mean, they've they've gone beyond the worlds and the walls of hardcore. Even though they have done that, even though they're making their music more accessible to people, you know, because they're assigned to Century Media or whatever it is, it's still not music. That connects with everybody you know what I mean it's because it's not hardcore is really not for everyone punk rock is not for everyone and I just think hardcore it really connects with people who just care about the world they live in right they care about the world they live in they care about their neighbors they care about the you know the poverty that they see every day like even in Hong Kong you know there's there's a lot of this that goes on and the the injustice the inequity the you know, like uh, the treatment of of LGBTQ people, marginalized people, women. I think hardcore punk rock will always speak to those people the most because they're like, oh, there's more people that think like me. And there's an art form that expresses this. It takes all these ideas and like, you know, puts it into this beautiful package of either art or music or zines or websites or blogs. And it continues to try to connect other like-minded people. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that was a, a good enough answer or not, but I, I can't, I really can't pinpoint what hardcore punk rock is beyond an ideology. It really is just a way of life. You you either are or you're not, you know what I mean? And I also do think that you there are people who are have the hardcore punk rock ideology in their brain, but they don't even listen to this music. You know what I mean? They're, they're yeah. not even involved. They're not even involved with the music. They're not involved with the scene. They don't know what is going on. Like my wife. You know, like, my wife is, she could not care less about music, man. She thinks all the stuff I do or, like, all the p- things, all the shit talking that people do, she's like, who cares? I'm like, you know, like, people will be like, oh, you know, that kind of band sounds more like this. She's like, it's all loud. You know, it's just loud music. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but she she has a very like anti-authoritarian kind mm. of attitude and a way of looking the world. It's constantly challenging the government. And, and so that to me is very hardcore punk rock. It's just the way, the way people think.
0: Excellent answer. a Very teacher-like answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, full
0: yeah, marks, full marks. Full <laughs> marks. <laughs> On that note, Riz, thank you so much for your time. And though a lot of people already know how to For those listening to you for the first time, how can they contact you?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, thanks a lot to both of you for this amazing interview. I just, I always think it's so cool that us brown people are just connecting regardless of where we're from, you know, what religion, what country. I mean, we got Indians and Pakistanis in this screen. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's always so cool. We're just like, dude, who gives a shit about religion? Who cares about the color of your skin? But it's just cool that we're we're making our mark. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's awesome that you guys are doing this. Keep it up. Yeah, your podcast rules. Um, in terms of getting in touch with me, um, I run a website called uniteAsia.org and then there's a submission button. Click that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's how you can contact Riz and if you'd like to you can reach out to us as well as always we're at hauntsupport.com, and we're on the Twitter machine at hauntsupport. I am
2: on Twitter at Asmo I'm at trendcrusher and this was Horns Up Horns Up guys